Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Connected on Relay FM. Today is Wednesday, September 17th. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, Smile Software's PDF Pen Scan Plus, and Iconic, the world's greatest book on Apple product design. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined this week by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's just us. Yeah, because our friend Mike is in Italy, and he decided to not visit me. He's in my same country, but for some reason he doesn't want to see me. So, is he is he far away from you? Yeah. Is that the no, problem? I get. Yeah, he's like in another, completely different part of Italy. Different part. Like several hours apart, and I totally gotcha. understand because the the part that he's in right now is much better than where I live. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the I saw the photos and and the updates that he, that he's uh, you know sending us. Um, he's having a good time. And the weather is, seems to be nice where, where he is right now. So um, I'm kind of jealous, you know, because I actually never been to, to Sicily where Mike is. Yeah. You should, uh, you should just go crash his vacation. Yeah. Maybe on the day that IOS 8 comes out, you know, it seems like that's a good the, idea to, to yeah, just that, <laughs> leave my house and, and go to see Mike. See, you've, you've already broke it. You've, you broke the illusion of what day we're actually recording. So we're actually recording on Monday. The uh, the fifteenth, but uh, we're pretending it's Wednesday and that iOS is iOS eight's already out, so we can talk about all these things. Um, Mike and I didn't plan this very well, although I will say that my baby was due this week before Mike booked his vacation. But uh, we wanted to record a couple days early in case uh, <laughs> in case it was only only yeah. Federico was available. Yeah, I should probably have a monologue about iOS eight apps and, <laughs> and the App Store. Just me rambling like an hour. into a microphone. Yeah, you're like I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know where the sponsor reads are. I don't just, I just put this MP3 on Twitter. The show's out. I'm just gonna do it live and see what happens. Just do it live, yeah. So, um, uh, well, I'm glad you're here. You're the the best person to talk to about all this. Oh, but we have a little bit of follow up first. Yes. Uh, so over the last uh, over the last week or so, um, lots of questions and kind of more conversations obviously have happened around the Apple Watch, um, and we we sort of glossed over some of this so i kind of wanted just to raise these is like we still have questions about things like battery life um pogue says it's water resistant which apple sort of hinted at but really didn't say um uh we had a question on twitter of do people think it will get warm i don't know what do you think about that one do you think it would be weird if it got warm yeah i thought about that that'd be that would be strange because i'm used to like a watch is something that is usually cold right I mean, I guess it, it gets your it gets warmer as you as you wear a watch. Yeah, but it's not warmer than you are. Yeah, like it's not warmer than the ambient yeah. temperature. And instead, that'd, that'd this, be weird. This, I mean, because we we don't even know what the battery looks like on, on this watch, right? We we have no idea about the inside. Yeah, it's, like, it's like four hours. <laughs> that'd be awful. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know. It's it's strange to think about it, and and especially you know because they have these sensors on on your wrist. So I don't know. Yeah. For the water resistant part, I guess that it's different from uh, because waterproof is one thing and water resistant is another. Right. So and and most watches, uh, you know, will be water resistant to a certain level, but you know, once you're past that, the the water pressures, you know, the pressure is too great. And um, yeah, I would hope at the very least that it's water resistant. You know, not I don't want to go swimming with it, but 
you know, if you go for a run and get caught in the rain, you don't want your $400 watch to die. Yeah, I was talking about this with a friend the other, the other night, and, and he asked me, so what happens if I go for a run and, and it starts raining, and Apple says that the Apple Watch is water-resistant, but it gets some damage. And then I go to the Apple Store, and I got to tell the, the, the Apple Store employees that it's not my fault, that I didn't like swim with my watch. I just went running. Like, how do I prove that it was just raining. And that's an interesting question because when this thing goes on sale, there are different mechanics for, for you know, selling a watch than selling an iPhone or a Mac inside yeah. the Apple store. So I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. you want to go try it on, you know, like this thing can't be tethered to a big wooden table like an iPhone is. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what podcast I've listened to a lot of shows over the last couple of days and someone was like, I want to, I want to put the 5.5 inch phone in my pocket, but I know it's going to be like tethered to the Apple store desk, you know, because of their security restrictions and you know, like you're jamming it in your pocket, you're going to get tased by the security guy. But buying a watch is for a lot of people, you know, it's a, uh, you know, to use Apple's word is an intimate experience. You go to the store, you try it on. Uh, if it's a nice watch, you might take somebody with you, right? Like, yeah. um, I bought my watch online. I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted, but I still like sent the link to my wife, and I was like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like buying a buying an iMac. Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in some in some stores, there's also like mirrors to to see like how the watch you know fits you uh, with your overall style. And so, can you imagine like people checking themselves out in the mirror inside an Apple store? Yeah, that'd be that'd be really strange. Yeah, <laughs> but they, you know, there was uh, talk when they when they, you know, they've been hiring all these fashion people, and that's come up of um, even their new Apple's new like senior vice president of retail. She has a a a bit of a fashion background. Um, am I making that up? Is that right? No, she she used to be the like the CEO of Barbary. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it is, you know, it is interesting. They've been building this, uh, you know, building this up over the last little while and curious uh, to, see, to see what happens. I was, I was also thinking about, you know, uh, we saw like 64 apps for the Apple Watch. And, and Apple said that there's going to be this new piece of technology called WatchKit to let developers create apps for, for the watch. And the problem is that they they didn't give other details about this watch kit uh, SDK. We didn't even know if it's an actual SDK because on the on the Apple website, um, I saw a screenshot uh, from uh, a lot of people that basically shared this uh, little message that said um, third party apps for the Apple Watch are coming out later next year. So that would yeah. so that would be after WWDC 2015. And right, so it could launch without third-party apps, yeah. potentially. And maybe, Which I mean, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna be strange, especially because Apple has, you know, uh, announced this watch with all these apps, and then the watch comes out without the apps. That, that'd be strange. Maybe there's going to be like initial partners or something, and maybe yeah. Apple announces a full SDK at WWDC next year. I don't know. We'll see. We'll be there. You yeah. should come this year. Yeah, or I know. next year. Next year. Yeah. There's, there was also a. Um, uh, a link uh, that I wanted to include in the show notes. So, which people, Stephen, can find where? On the internet. Yeah? On the web? On the internet. Uh, relay.fm slash connected slash five. 
That's right. So there was a link by Greg Pierce, the uh, drafts and terminology developer at Agile Tortoise. And um, he, was he was arguing that um, it may be possible that what WatchKit-based apps are going to be like extensions in iOS 8. They are uh, bundles. You know, they're, they are sold inside an app on the app on the iPhone and iPad app store. And, and he, and he speculates that maybe watch apps are going to be extensions of an app that you buy in, on your phone. And then it basically gets transferred to, to the watch. I don't know. It's a, it's a possibility and uh, we don't know yeah. much right now. So this is, I mean, at some point you would think code is running directly on the watch, but you know, like what's that relationship? If it is an extension, is that reside on the watch? Can it do anything without the app being present? Like there's a lot of questions for me at least around what does this thing look like? What does it do when the iPhone is not present? And, you know, I, I would say over the last week, Federico, my opinion of the watch has cooled a little bit. Um, and I think a lot of it I keep coming back to of like, this is a 1.0. I'm normally not that guy. Like I bought an iPad on launch day, but um, I, I, I do, I can't help but think of like, see this watch and like there are a lot of great things about it. There's a whole lot of questions and if Apple doesn't have good answers for these questions right now, I would hope that that those questions do have good answers two, three, five years from now. And so, you know, Apple always plays a long game, but I I do wonder if that's going to hurt them in this case, because we've seen with the iPhone very clearly that if you wait a little while, you get what you want. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be a factor here or not. Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you value the you know the twelve months that you spend with an Apple device. I mean, because obviously, if you if you waited like two or three years, you would have skipped the original iPhone, the iPhone three G and three and the three GS, and you would have gotten directly the iPhone four, which was a much better phone. But then again, you wouldn't have enjoyed the iPhone for three years. So obviously, right. the i the I keep calling it the iWatch. Uh, the Apple Watch three is going to be much better. I mean, if if this product is uh, successful for Apple. It's going to be much better than, than the Apple Watch 1, but you got to wait three years for that. I hope they name them with numbers, but I hope they use Roman numerals. Yeah. I kind of, <laughs> I can kind of see that happening, yeah, right? Like it's like fancy. I rewatched, um, you know, the keynote for last week's show and it hit me again, like how sort of over the top, the, the, not the Johnny I video, but like the, the 92nd, like, showing the watch for the first time it's like oh yeah there's literally like the sun coming over the earth i want to know the, the space song station. of that video i spent like it's the good other, i spent the other night 30 minutes looking for for that song on shazam and, <laughs> and you know all the other uh what's the name soundhound and yeah. i ran a search on twitter and i saw other people asking the same question because it's really good music so well, you know apple likes to control the hardware the software and the music services and the music. <laughs> yeah. Is it a U2 song? No one listened to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that should be in our follow-up as well. So did you see this where, uh, there's a new article I'll put it in our chat, Federico. Um, there's a new article in the K base. Yeah. Your friend. Imagine, <laughs> uh, my friend, uh, remove iTunes gift album songs of innocence from iTunes music library. Apple has a special website. That if you go to and sign in with your account, you can remove <laughs> the new YouTube album from your from your library. This is crazy. So uh, I've been following, just not too carefully. So Apple was giving uh, giving away for free the new YouTube YouTube album until mm-hmm. someday in October. And why are people upset? 
because people hate you too. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> so so I don't, is the I album really automatically yeah. given to you? Or yeah, it's it's in my iTunes library right now. Have you have you clicked download on iTunes? No, no, no. So it, so I use iTunes Match. So it, you know, I think even if you don't use iTunes Match, it shows up as available but not downloaded. So you have to go and actually download it. Oh, I have the album too. You're right. Oh, I but, see. But uh, yeah, it's nice, right? Um, huh. So I, the thing is, like, I don't, like, I don't really care for you two, but. I don't hate them so much that I'm going to like blast this out of my music library. Like I have other YouTube stuff in there that I don't listen to. It's fine. And people are upset because Apple put a YouTube YouTube album uh, for free in their iTunes libraries. Yeah. It's like Bono came into your house and stole your family. Yeah. No, it's not like that. It's not like that at all, Federico. Yeah. This is, this is strange. It is. It is weird. Um, but if you have it and you want to get rid of it, go click that link in the show notes and you can banish you two from your uh from your life. From your from your from your <laughs> life from existence. Uh <laughs> Steven, I had one last point that I forgot to mention about um the watch and, and okay. watch kit. Um if the theory of what Apple Watch apps being like extensions that are bundled inside uh iPhone apps is true. I think that Apple should consider giving developers ways to monetize extensions and widgets uh, through in-app purchases. Because right now, um, as far as I know, there is no official way to block extensions and widgets and keyboards uh, through in-app purchases. You know, because a lot of developers would like to to let customers unlock these features as uh, as extras, basically as paid content. And right now, uh, I don't think there's an official way that Apple likes. And if the theory of WatchKit being, you know, based on the same system um, is true, next year developers will find themselves in the, in the situation of, you know, we have an iPhone app and then we're going to bundle all these extra features for free. Uh, so we have an extension, we have a widget, we have a keyboard, and we have a watch app. And I think that, that Apple should allow developers to uh, to easily monetize this kind of extra uh, functionality. And yeah. so, as I said, this is all speculation. So, But it's a point that I wanted to bring, to, to bring up because maybe next year we can find a link to, to this episode again and say uh, that we, were, we had a prediction. So That's right. Year-long follow-up. Yeah. So uh, we'll wrap up follow up with this. Um, I know Mike ordered a six plus, mm. uh, sixty four gig, space gray. I ordered the six. Uh, you still can't order, right? Yeah, I I cannot order. And um, there was a a press release from Apple um, about the pre orders. They 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 people bought over four million iPhones in twenty four hours. And they yeah. confirmed the official Italian release date on September 26th. But I'm still not sure about which model to get because since last episode, um, I kind of changed my mind because I I saw all the like uh, the mo- the paper uh, models to to kind of see the size of the iPhone 6 Plus. <laughs> Meaning you bought some ink for your printer. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I kept touching my MacBook screen with my hand. <laughs> To get an idea. <laughs> no, actually, this time, um, because I saw a photo on Twitter about the iPhone 6 Plus being as big as, as the PS Vita, I tried to put the PS Vita on my cheek and see, you know, how silly would I look? And it wasn't pretty huge. 
So I think I'm going to go with the iPhone 6 after all. Uh, yeah, I, I spent some time this weekend. I don't. It was a HTC phone that was right at 5.5 inches uh, that my brother-in-law bought. And it is, it's big. And I actually was wearing jeans and I, like, I put it in my pocket. I was like, I'm not sure. And like, I'm not wearing girly jeans, but like, this is big. I, I definitely can't imagine if my pockets were any smaller that this would work. Um, and it really didn't work. Like it was very at the very top of the pocket and like, I felt weird sitting down. Um, I think it would definitely be something that some people will like, but I feel confident that I might, I made the right choice and, um, I will know on Friday cause it's, uh, it's a super first world problem, but I live in a city where FedEx is based. And so Apple ships things from Memphis. And so my, um, my phone, like I never saw like the China Anchorage, you know, like the whole thing. It was like shipped from Memphis and that's just now it has a status of holding for release for the <laughs> for the nineteenth. So I could like drive across town and get my phone, but they won't let me in. What, it's hard. What I noticed about um the iPhone six and the six plus is the people's reactions to the announcement. Um a couple of friends of mine asked me about, you know, is Apple doing like doing this to, you know, because Samsung is being so successful with huge phones. And I don't have a good answer for that because, I mean, it's Tim Cook said that with the, with the larger uh, screens, they can entice more people to, uh, f- to switch from Android to, to iOS. And that's, you know, that's kind of obvious when you think about it. I mean, there's, even if you watch the keynote, there was no... Uh, no practical examples of why a bigger screen is better. I mean, there were numbers, right? There were uh, a lot more pixels on the screen. This is a great display, and we can have better colors. But they simply said that you know it's a, it's a it's a larger screen. They didn't they didn't have a fancy video, you know, showing why a bigger screen is better in everyday life. It's just they tend to assume that bigger is better. And even the, the Apple website, uh, uh, like the tagline for the iPhone six is bigger than bigger. <laughs> I don't even know what that <laughs> yeah, means. I don't. And, um, it's, yeah. So Apple is, uh, is simply going for the biggest screen because, uh, that's w- what people want. And I think my friends have a point when they say, you know, that they're doing this because, because, Basically, because Samsung, <laughs> that's the reason. Because, uh, because that's, that's what Apple's uh, marketing said before Phil Schiller. Because Samsung, yeah. <laughs> did, did you see this? Um, if you go to the Apple, the iPhone 6 page, and you go to um, displays, so there's a, apparently this, these things have two modes where you can toggle in between mm-hmm. um, like the standard z- view or and, zoom view, yeah. which is the same like on the home screen it's the same number of icons but they're all bigger so the space between them uh which i think is really interesting i would want standard so i can see more emails on one screen but zoom view i assume would let me have the same number of emails but in a that i used to have but in a bigger format i think that's a i think that's a really nice feature um i think a lot of people are going to want a bigger phone assuming the text will be bigger and that's not true it's that you get more on the screen but having a setting to say, you know what, I, I do want to show more on the display bigger, I think that's a big win. So what happens if you if you enable the zoom mode and then you, you slide dynamic type all the way to the right? Do you end up with like one word on the screen at a time? 
I mean, maybe there, there's a huge, I mean, probably not that exaggerated, but from an accessibility standpoint, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, guess, and and I guess, even, you know, sorry, I guess it's, it kind of confirms that, you know, with, with the new iOS seven design, it's much easier for apps to, to scale to different sizes, uh, because they're not, many of them are not using, um, photorealistic, you know, uh, textures and graphics. Uh, most of them are just, you know, vector-based applications from a graphical standpoint, at least, that, that don't even use icons. And by icons, I mean graphic files anymore. And, and it's much easier for these apps, which are color-based. They don't have many graphical resources to scale across different, you know, screen sizes and, and even layouts. And, and this is also a point that I wanted to mention with the iOS 8 extensions later. Uh, but I think that from this point of view, uh, the redesign of last year um, is a big win in terms of, you know, uh, uh, enabling apps to, to change uh, to different sizes and devices and, and orientations more easily. Yeah, absolutely. You know, drawing, you know, graphic heavy textures is hard, but if all your things are text or even like, like Marco is doing mostly um, code programmatic drawing. Yeah. So he actually is not using icons, but he's, he's creating the icon in code. That's, that's a lot more flexible and, you know, if you can use something like a vector as opposed to like this, like PNG of like stitched leather, you can do a lot more, uh, more easily. And I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Some of the stuff they're doing now would not have been possible in any easy way with the, the old design of iOS. Absolutely. Yeah. So Steven. let's talk about our friends at Squarespace. Yes. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code WORLD at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Now, you know Squarespace has beautiful award-winning templates, but you can actually create custom CSS that overrides their controls. You can Throw in custom images. Um, if you go to 512 Pixels, it runs on Squarespace. I have a ton of custom CSS. I can just fine-tune exactly what I want uh, very easily. They have Typekit and Google Fonts are out of the box. A lot of platforms, you have to go buy a Typekit account. All that's baked into Squarespace. Um, but what's, what's really great is that you can dig into the code beyond just CSS. Uh, you can easily inject custom code into the header or footer even on a per-page basis. So I actually have Node.js running on my Squarespace site uh, to do some custom ordering on a page. And it's super easy to do. I just drop it in and hit save. You can do 301 and 302 redirects very easily. Yeah, Squarespace is a powerful tool that is much more than just a, a pretty face. These templates are great, but you can go in and customize them and do uh, really just what you want to do with custom CSS, Typekit, and more. Like I said, for a free trial and 10% off, uh, head over to squarespace.com and use the offer code WORLD at checkout. Uh, it tells them you came from us, and uh, you can enjoy a little bit of extra change in your pocket. So thank you to, uh, to Squarespace for supporting Connected and all of Relay FM. I had this great idea, Federico, that we would talk about the... Tim Cook interview on Charlie Rose. Mm -hmm. And then today you were like, oh, I can't watch it because yeah. uh, my link was on Hulu. Um, part one has been recorded. Part two 
uh, will be released, but after we record, but before the show comes out. So we can't really talk about part two today. Uh, but since you didn't see it, I just wanted to like blast through this and kind of see if you had any thoughts on uh, on it. Sure. You know, um, anytime you see Tim Cook or really any CEO or any executive be interviewed, there's always like that marketing speak that, that happens. And so a lot of uh, Tim's early answers to things are like straight out from, from the keynote, right? Like, okay, you're just repeating your line. But uh, as the interview went on, it really became really interesting. And, and one of the first things he said that was interesting um, was about IBM, you know, Apple's partnership with them. And he says, Apple is changing how people work after transforming the consumer space. Um, which like, I hadn't really thought about that way. Like Apple had definitely has transformed consumer electronics, but now they're like getting about changing the way people work. Uh, of course, getting the iPad into enterprise. Um, Federico, obviously I thought about you because you, you know, famously do a lot of work on your, on your iPad mini. I mean, you run a successful website and two podcasts from it. Um, like, does that, like, when Apple says that, does that get you excited about the future? Does of the that iPad? make me an enterprise? That's a real question. I think I think you are an enterprise. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, um, that's a great point. Um, you know, definitely Apple has changed uh, the way that you know the consumer space. Um, so many, so many different behaviors and so many different habits we have today that uh, you, you you don't need to go back twenty years ago to see a different you know a different. Uh, different lifestyle and and ways to interact with technology. You just need to go back seven years ago and even six years ago because the iPhone was only available in the US. So many different, uh, so many things are different today. And not just the way that people communicate, but the way that people people take photos or listen to music. And the potential for changing the way that people work, uh, you know, uh, in an office environment, um, that's huge because... uh, Millions, and I wouldn't say billions because I'm not sure, but millions of people are still working with old Windows PCs and they don't, they hate their work PC. And in fact, they are trying to bring their own devices to, you know, to the office space uh, because they they, they profoundly despise the, (laughs) the hardware and software that's been given to them. And so the potential there is huge. And I'm curious to see about, I almost had forgotten about this IBM announcement. I'm, <laughs> I'm, honestly, I'm curious to see what Apple does. Um, if it's about yeah. software, if it's about, you know, uh, there's rumors about a bigger iPad. So maybe, um, maybe that could be, you know, you know special, specialized hardware for, for, the, for the enterprise. I don't know. Yeah. They, and they talk, they've talked some about that, how, you know, IBM can look at like a whole verticals of, you know, we can look at banking from the teller all the way up to the executive and like make apps and services to fit all those needs. Um, but what you said about the consumerization is really interesting. And, and obviously the Beats acquisition comes up and, you know, Cook says it's about talent. You know, the headphone brand needed international support. Um, but he said what really made it for them on the Beats audio app was the human-powered curation, which is exactly what you had said months yeah. ago was the difference. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, so Tim Cook said this, but if you close your eyes, like, it could come from Federico, which he <laughs> is. Uh, beats made me feel different. The sequence of songs you, you listen to affects the way you feel. Like, that, you know, there's been a sort of some joking about, um, or, or not really joking, but, like, the the idea of, like, 
music being the heart of Apple and then like the weird Bono thing we just talked about. And but, like you, you hear that quote and it's like, yeah, like that's still true in Cupertino that, you know, that cook, like listen to this playlist and, you know, I'm assuming that this is a real story, but that he had this experience with this music and that like set off a chain reaction that ended up in like Dr. Dre working for Tim cook, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, because uh, when, when there were rumors about uh, Apple buying Beats, um, if most people had paid attention to to Beats music, uh, it would have been obvious, frankly, that that it was the the music streaming service that Apple was looking for. But it's just the people, you know, especially in the tech press, they like to to make fun of Beats because it was the you know the headphone company with the rapper and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. But the Beats music product uh, was really really strong. And and now it makes perfect perfect sense. Uh, people say, but you know, a few months ago they were making jokes about about Dr. Dre and you know that yeah. kind of stuff. I, it does make me wonder how long we see uh, until Beats becomes a little more built into something. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they're going to like get rid of Beats Audio and take the guts of it and put it in iTunes Radio. But like Apple has two streaming services. They have iTunes Radio, which is you know much more like Pandora. Mm-hmm. And then and then beats and like maybe it's a regulatory thing that you know I, I don't know, but it, it seems like you got you got to do something with that you know besides like have Eddie Q like joke about buying a, a set of Beats headphones during his Apple Pay demo like it's at some point Beats has to move closer into the fold and um, I think when that when that starts happening it's going to get really interesting to see what Apple does you know clearly the iTunes brand has equity but it's aging and i would say every day that passes people will sort of like scoff at itunes more and more just as a, as a brand um beats does not have that problem Beats has a very strong brand and so uh, what does apple do with those two things and if they don't do it right it could be really weird um so i just i that, when that starts happening, I'm going to be really interested to see where mm. it ends up. I mean, you got to wonder why iTunes Radio is still limited to the U.S. and Canada. There's got to yeah. be a reason. I mean, it's been more than a year now. And I think that, that iTunes Radio is the one that will go away. And there will be... I, I think so. There will be a radio feature in Beats Music. I think it's more likely. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it's, it's weird to me that iTunes Radio is in the music app on iOS. It's like, here's all of my music, and then one tab has basically Apple Pandora. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just kind of scanning this. Um, uh, one thing he, he, so they talk about, about competition and Tim basically says that Google is their competition and that they quote, enable Samsung and others. Um, and he's pretty dismissive of Amazon and the fire phone as you, as you might expect. Yeah. yeah I saw the quote uh, about uh, Amazon made a phone and you don't see that in a lot of places. Yeah, <laughs> it's like dang. Yeah, I just saw the quote, and that was awesome. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, he he did talks about when when Steve Jobs hired him, and I I really hadn't heard much about this. I knew that he was at Compaq before, um, but again, going back to this consumer technology thing, um, basically Tim says, you know, Steve laid out his vision about going into the consumer market when everybody else was leaving it. This is like 1998. This is, you know, they interviewed before the iMac uh, was introduced. So like Jobs apparently told Tim Cook about the iMac and that's what did it. It was like consumer technology can make an impact even though everyone else is doing the enterprise. He felt like Apple, like Jobs, 
plan to go after consumers in the home market made sense. And of course, you know, like in hindsight, like has any executive ever made such a good decision as Tim Cook deciding to, to join a dying Apple in 1997, <laughs> um, which I'm sure was crazy. He even says he was like, no one in my life told me this was a good idea. Mm. And I did it anyways. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that must have been crazy. Yeah, I guess like like uh like you call your parents, you're like, Yeah, like I got a new job. Oh, where is it? Apple. Isn't Apple like ninety days from bankruptcy? <laughs> I guess it'd be like if today I called my parents all excited and I'm and and I told them, Hey, um I'm joining Blackberry. Yeah, it's oh yeah, the exact yeah, exactly the same feeling. <laughs> that'd be that'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh they probably won't let you podcast about Apple anymore. Probably. Um I think that's, I mean, I have a lot more notes, but I think those are, to me, at least sort of the uh, the high points on the Tim Cook interview. Uh, so part one will be in the show notes, part two will be out by the time you listen to this. Um, I think it's great. You know, I think it's a, it's a more open Apple, even though the, this thing felt very guarded at times. Mm. Uh, he makes a joke that uh, we're working on, their products we're working on that haven't even been rumored yet, <laughs> which is sort of funny. Uh, what, what could it be? I don't know. Like an Apple What if we car? rumor about it first? I hope a uh I hope it's not a car. I don't think it's a car. I hope it's a it's a fashion line. Like like a t shirt. The Apple trousers, the Apple shoes, and like the Apple necklace. So you can go around and you look like an Apple mannequin. Jackpot. Yeah. There's a uh down the street from my office there's a an office building where the first floor has been emptied out. It used to be a, a clothing store though. And now it's just full of like naked, bright, like bright, like white mannequins that are just like lined up against the back wall. (laughs) So like you drive by and you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye and you kind of jump. Like you're like, they're just watching and waiting for Tim Cook to dress them, (laughs) I guess. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) This episode of Connected is also sponsored by PDF Pen Scan Plus an app that offers scanning and OCR directly from your iPhone or iPad camera. You can take images of multiple pages effortlessly, and with post-processing, you can edit those images, you can crop them, uh, you can tighten up the brightness or contrast. PDF Pen Scan Plus can also scan receipts and custom paper sizes. And with version 1.4, Smile has added the ability to upload scans directly to Dropbox or PDF Pen's iCloud storage. PDF Pen is also on the Mac, so you can scan on your iPhone, open on the Mac, and, and see your files. Uh, version 1.4 also remembers the last folder used for import and export and allows you to export multiple documents at once, making batch scanning easier than ever. You can blast through a stack of receipts quickly, exporting them to Dropbox or iCloud for storage and availability on your other devices. PDF Pen Scan Plus can name files by date automatically, and with OCR, the contents of your documents are easily searchable later. PDF Pen Scan Plus overlays a preview of its OCR text, and this thing is super accurate, more accurate than ever. PDF Pen Scan Plus is a universal iOS app. It works on both your iPhone and your iPad, and it's available on the iOS App Store. You can learn more by visiting smilesoftware.com slash connected. And uh, you really should check it out. If you've got me like a, having a business, I scan receipts all the time with this and uh, have them available to me. So I can send them to my accountant if I need to. Um, really a great thing. Like, 
you always have your phone on you. I, for one, Federico, don't carry a scanner around with me, mm-hmm. but I always have my phone with me. Yeah. So Smile Software has got a great tool here. You guys should go check it out, smilesoftware.com slash connected. So our plan is to kind of walk through some of the high-level features and things that we have enjoyed uh, the developers are doing with it. So uh, with some betas and some apps that are out today. Um, some? All of them. <laughs> Yeah, you sent me a sc- like a screenshot of your like to do list of app reviews, and it's uh, it's sketchy. A lot of these app reviews are published now, or uh, and will be in the show notes. But um, I will say before we jump in, like the the more I've spent time with it, I've been running iOS eight for maybe a month now, and uh, the more I spend time with it, the more I'm impressed of uh, impressed with the fact that Apple went really back to the basics with this. That they looked at, you know. These limitations that iOS 8 lifts are the very limitations that define the iOS iOS experience for a long time. And it really seems like very few things were considered sacred. That now, like, you don't have to, like, hack around the edges with URL schemes. You can just go in, like, use an extension, and it's supported by Apple and smiled upon. And it, it breaks apps out of these siloed boxes they've always been in. Now, they're still secure in their, in their sort of data silos, but... In, in working with this every day, iOS 8 feels a lot more powerful than its predecessors. Yeah. And it's not just about, you know, uh, the URL schemes and, and the workflows and the scripts. It's so many other areas of the OS have been uh, completely reimagined. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, um, having image editing extensions in the Photos app. Uh, you don't have to create duplicate photos anymore. You don't have to uh, open in, uh, you know, to to take a photo and open into another app, and maybe apply a filter on and you know some cropping into that app and then saving back to the camera roll. You can just go to the Photos app and run a photo extension, and you can just edit there with the custom interface. And I know there's a uh, there's a, a camera plus update. Uh, that added, uh, aside from, you know, manual controls, um, a photo extension to, to, you know, to enjoy the camera plus filters into the photos app. And then there's the keyboards and there's the, you know, the document providers. It's just so many, uh, like you said, uh, nothing was, you know, nothing was sacred for Apple because they, they've been changing all the, you know, all the stuff that we used to say, yeah, iOS is very limited in the, in this aspect. Uh, they have been changed, and and for me, it's it's been difficult, you know, to to consider iOS eight in all its a- in all of its aspects uh, and features because more than ever, I think that that iOS eight depends on on third party apps. So if you, if you don't have access um, to third party apps during the beta process of iOS. Eight. Uh, it's very difficult to understand the potential and the practical benefits of these features, because yes, you can go to the Apple website and you can read the documents, but an actual app that you can use is, you know, gives another uh, completely different picture. So on the one hand, I I, I needed to have uh, access to to real apps to understand the potential of iOS eight. Because on the other hand, there was Apple that didn't provide any examples of this stuff, and this is a this is a nice contrast, you know, uh, between the stuff that third-party developers are doing on iOS eight and the fact that Apple doesn't even have an extension uh, for mail, or you know, you, you cannot you cannot attach a document into a mail message from from iCloud Drive, 
And uh, at least in the beta, there was no, you know, Apple didn't say, hey, here's uh, a beta of pages. There's an extension. Go test this. Uh, there was no, no example from Apple, probably because they wanted developers to experiment. And the result is that we're seeing today all these third-party apps that are coming out with extensions, with widgets, with you know, document providers, with keyboards. It's a lot of stuff, honestly. And, and it's basically, I would say, the second age of the App Store. This is because these apps are bringing major changes to the way that people uh, work with iOS devices. And it's not, it's not just about, you know, productivity and text editors and, you know, uh, you and me, Stephen, we write on, on an iPad uh, and, uh, you know, we do this kind of stuff. We do research. We read an article in Insta paper. It's much more than that. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, two or three months from now, uh, are we going to, to get tired of extensions uh, because everybody's doing an extension? Are we going to get tired of widgets because we're full of widgets? And we don't know what to do with widgets anymore. Um, right now, this is all very new, and 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 it's new for me that I've been, you know, I've been for for Mac stories. I've been trying uh, a bunch of apps, and and still today feels so new and weird because this is not the iOS that I used to know. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see how at some point, like, it could be tiring, like especially depending on how Apple's system of, of managing extensions and widgets scales. So in the notification center, you know, you can go and you can tap to add a widget or you can remove it and it goes back into that list uh, below of possible things you can add. Like if every app I have has a widget, like that list is going to get crazy and it's, you know, but that's nothing new for iOS either. There's a lot of places in iOS's history where Apple has a design convention and the sort of the world like comes in, like goes crazy with it. And their design convention breaks because they, they thought about two dozen things and, instead of eight dozen things. Um, I think it just but, comes down to, you know, to being conscious about you know, all the apps that you have, because I mean, the home screen has the same problem, right? You can download 200 apps and you don't know what to do with them anymore. So, and this is a point that I brought up in my in my ISA uh, review today. Um, I've been I, I've been trying to to you know to be extremely careful with the widgets that I use uh, because if I have to scroll uh, the today view in notification center to find a widget, it doesn't <laughs> it, it kind of defeats the point, right? Because yeah. the widgets are meant to just be there, and you you know you you open the the view quickly and you just dismiss it. If you have to scroll and find your widget, you might as well, you know, just open an app with Spotlight. Totally. Um, so talking about widgets, I think there's some really good examples. Oh, yeah. uh, one of my favorites is uh, OmniFocus 2, where they they insert a list of your tasks due for today. So re- Apple's Reminders app has already done this, right? If you have something due in Reminders, it shows there. You get a circle, you tap the circle, it gets marked as complete. Same thing now for OmniFocus 2. Um, it's not configurable at this point. It's just task due today, but I'm actually okay with that. Um, and for someone who uses OmniFocus 2, you know, basically every working minute of the day, it feels like uh, a really nice way to like get in, like mark some stuff off real quickly. And um, that's part of their, I think, 2.3 update or yeah. 2.3.1 or something. And um, that's a really good example of like, I bet a bunch of to-do managers do that thing 
where I have a list of tasks, I check them off and I'm done. Yeah, I've been um I've been waiting for because I, now I use uh Todoist and um they still don't have an iOS uh beta version or app on the App Store. Uh but I'm definitely looking forward to being able to, you know, uh complete my to-dos from from a widget. Uh, I've been uh using and liking a lot this um the Evernote widget, which has yeah. uh, shortcuts to create new notes or reminders or a list. And it's nice because uh, there's uh, five buttons on the screen and, and, and each button uh, takes you to a specific area of the app. Like if you mm-hmm. tap the text button, it takes you to, uh, you know, uh, to the creation screen for a new regular right. text note. If you, yeah. if you tap the reminder, it takes you into the Evernote app and into the reminder creation mode and so forth. And, um, I've also, which, is, which is nice because like yeah. my complaint about Evernote is like it's slow to get in and make a note. Exactly. And now I can just pull it down, hit a button, and I'm in. Yeah. I've also been uh, using this, um, this widget from an app that's called um, ETA. That's E-T-A. I guess it's estimated time of arrival. And it's a, it's a uh, travel uh, app for the iPhone that gives you um, – travel times for your favorite locations. So uh, you can configure a bunch of uh, favorites in the app. And then the uh, top three favorite locations are displayed in as a widget in Notification Center. And okay. the widget shows you the travel time for that location. And nice. if you tap the location, you can open uh, directions into Apple or Google Maps. That's really nice. Yeah. Apple does a little bit of that now. Of If I have an address on my next event, it will say, hey, it's going to take you yeah. 14 minutes to drive to Acme Company. Um, but it's also predictive. And so I bet, I mean, right now it's 5.20 p.m. Uh, my time. And if I pull down, yeah, it says, uh, you know, driving home could take about 18 minutes or whatever. And so it's, that's a really good example of like a third party seeing what Apple does mm-hmm. and making it better, like standing on their shoulders. Yeah, with Google Maps. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maps is fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tim apologized again for Apple Maps in that uh, interview. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, we screwed up. Like, yeah, pretty much. You did. Yeah. It doesn't know about your house anymore, right? Have we talked about that? Oh yeah, they, they still haven't fixed it. That's awesome. And um, I uh, I don't know if you've been using it, but there's the day one widget. Yeah, that it it's shows nice. you graphs and and like um, reminders from the past for with photos. Yeah, I, I like that. It's not one that I think is going to be in my normal rotation, mm-hmm. um, but it's a really nice view of your day one data. Um, I so I kind of wish it wasn't just in a widget, but yeah. so one of one of my points in my article was that um, this is called the today view of notification center. But many of these widgets, and many more in the, in the next few weeks, they are not really about today, right? They're just shortcuts or, to, you know, or yeah. uh, glanceable information. It's, they're not related to the current day or you know, they don't depend on time. I mean, Evernote lets you create notes. And it's just a bunch of icons. So I think that next year, um, Apple is going to, to change the today name because it doesn't really make sense that there's today and then you know, all these widgets. It's, they're not about you know the calendar or you know what you gotta do today. It's basically uh, the dashboard, only yes. better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Poor dashboard. Yeah, I mean because 
the point is that you can bring this up in any app and it's always there, right? Because it's the notification interface that you always use. And you can bring up the today view on the home screen in, in, in an app. You can, I mean, you can open the multitasking view and bring, bring up the widgets. And, and it's also better because it's, they're integrated with, with, the, with the apps that you use. On the dashboard, you install, on, the, on OS X, you install these widgets, but they're not really connected to the apps that you use. Right, they're like little utilities that are there. Exactly. On iOS, these are extensions of apps. So if you tap them, if you interact with them, you can change data, or you know, you can do stuff with their primary app, and that's a huge difference. Yeah. Well, it's it's even weirder on uh, OS X Yosemite, which of course isn't out yet, but on OS X now you have today. And notifications like you do on iOS on oh, iOS yeah. eight, yeah. but then you also still have the dashboard, and so like it's it's clearly this little corner of like utility shortcut type things is still in flux. And I agree, the name is weird, yeah. and I think that they will sort of bring all this back into the fold at some point. Like I'm I'm shocked that dashboard is still around in OS ten, and that's coming from somebody who uses it on a pretty regular basis. I think that the but, new name will just be dashboard. Like the yeah, today view so. will be dashboard and the old dashboard, your friend Steven, uh, will go away. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> maybe, just maybe they'll call it iPod classic <laughs> dashboard. Classic. Um, yeah. Oh. So yeah, I think you're right that there's sort of a wide range of usage here. Yeah. Um, but what's nice is this really makes iOS eight feel much more customized. Like, you know, like I use OmniFocus and Evernote heavily. And so those are my top two. And suddenly that, area of my phone is not just things coming from other people, but it's things that I've put there as well. And I bet I, at least, and a lot of other people will use notification center a lot more now that it's gained this functionality. Yeah. For me, the, the, the result of widgets has been that a lot of shortcuts and actions that I used to keep uh, in Launcher Pro or in drafts, uh, they're gone because I can just use notification center now. And I think that um, the the action slash app launcher kind of widget is going to be one of the most popular types of widgets. And I do, uh, for instance, there's um, this new app called Workflow, uh, which is like Automator for iOS. It's pretty amazing. And they have this widget that lets you uh, launch and run workflows um, from, from the today view. And using this app and the widget, I was able to... Uh, drop a lot of URL scheme-based or Python-based uh, workflows that I had because combined, you know, all these aspects, the widget and this, this new app, which is amazing and that lets you build workflows visually, altogether, uh, they're much better than, you know, editing manually a URL scheme and, you know, writing a script just to take a bunch of photos and upload them to the cloud. Now I can just, you know, use a native photo picker and, you know, just use an extension and upload my photos and I don't have to write a single line of code and I can show other people how to do it. And it's just, it has an interface. So it, it it's kind of sad because a lot of great stuff came out of the um, classic iOS automation scene. Um, mm. But these these new technologies are just so much better. Do you say scene? I'm not sure. Scene, <laughs> it's yeah. like four four people in your. No, scene. it's not true. It's it's <laughs> no, at least a hundred people. 
Okay. So it's, but you're right. I mean, this stuff brings the things that were locked away in editorial or in Pythonista. It brings them to the masses, like uh, in a way that is really exciting. Um, and a lot of that's in the action and share sheet stuff where, uh, I don't have to like copy and paste between apps or, or rely on a workflow, um, that I can just be in one app and use a little part of another one right there where I am. Um, and to me that the action and share stuff almost feels more futuristic even in the widgets. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you, when you try something like the one password extension. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. The Evernote, uh, share sheet that lets you create a note. Uh, in any app and then knows what kind of content you want to save. So mm-hmm. if you're in Safari, it, it saves a web page. If you're in the Photos app, it saves the photo because the extensions know the kind of input that gets passed to the extension. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything. You just hit the share button and you, you yeah. know, you're done. The, the, the one password one is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you guys haven't, awesome. <laughs> if you haven't spent time with it, you, you have an extension in mobile Safari. And if you have a phone that's touch ID equipped, um, you put your thumb on it and it unlocks your one password keychain within mobile Safari, right? So you don't have to like go out to the one password browser. You can do it all right within Safari, which is cool. Yeah. And uh, if you're a third Poor party developer, Chrome. <laughs> I know. Oh, Chrome is using a, a native share sheet on iOS 8, I think. Yeah, I saw, I saw, uh, our, uh, deceased, uh, co-host was talking about that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're a third-party developer, you can uh, do more stuff with the one-password extension. Uh, there's an SDK that you can use to to unlock more features. Um, I've been basically every app that I tested uh, had support for the one-password extension because Acolyte like Kitchen is cool, and but you know it, it's not as full featured as one-password. Uh, totally. Although I gotta say. That a nice feature of iCloud Keychain that is available right now in iOS 8 is that basically if an app has an online service or an online component, and if you have an account for that app, um, on iOS 8, uh, the app can look into your iCloud Keychain, and if it finds a login for its service already into your Keychain, it says, do you want to import your saved password from Safari and use it? So that, that's really nice. That is really – I had not come across that. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's really nice. I, I came across that for uh, Screens, uh, the VNC app from Adovia. Yeah, yeah. And um, the new delivery status, uh, which I don't, I don't know if it's out already. Um, they, they look into your iCloud Kitchen for uh, the Screens Connect and the June Cloud accounts. And if they find um, a safe password in Safari, they ask you to import the password in the app, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, delivery deliveries is still telling me that my iPhone is not here yet. <laughs> what, what <laughs> Sadness. Is it? What is it? Uh, it's in Memphis. Well, it ships from here. Just waiting. Um, yeah, the the action stuff, the share stuff is really, uh, really cool. Um, and the share stuff is going to be uh, amazing for people who use Pinboard, uh, the bookmarking service, because every Pinboard app is going to have a share extension. And it makes life so much easier if you like to save bookmarks on Pinboard. Uh, because before, yeah. it used to be that you either uh, use the bookmarklet on iOS, which kind of sucks, right? And uh, Or you had to create these kind of workflows with Python or, uh, yeah. you know, URL schemes. Uh, now, uh, 
all these uh, pinboard apps that are that I tested and that are out today on the App Store. There's Pinner uh, with version three, and there's another one called Pinpoint, and there's an update to PinSwift coming out in in a couple of weeks. Um, everybody's doing share extensions, and they let you save bookmarks uh, to Pinboard directly from Safari or any other app. Yeah. It's funny. I have a, I have a, as do you, a collection of bookmarklets in Safari. Yep. Send things various <laughs> places. And like, I still need those for OS 10, <laughs> but I don't need them for iOS anymore. Yeah. Which is just a little sad. I'm kind but, of worried um, because, um, in this past two months, I saw developers, uh, obviously focusing on, focusing on, you know, iOS 8 betas and widgets and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a single Yosemite beta for a new <laughs> OS 10 app. <laughs> Which is kind of concerning. <laughs> They'll circle. They got another month. Yeah, let's see. We'll, it's fine. Yeah. That's all it takes, right? If you, you say so. <laughs> slap some paint on it. Yeah. Um, the storage stuff is interesting too. Uh, of course, uh, transmit for iOS is a, a huge victory for those of us who use S3 on a daily basis. Yeah, <laughs> um, lucky you. Or, or FTP in general. Um, but transmit's only possible or you know partially possible because of the stuff with storage providers and iCloud Drive, which is uh like talking about things that break iOS eight con- or iOS conventions, uh, I think the storage stuff is right on the top of that list yeah it's a it's a major change right because iCloud uh, used to be you know iCloud exists and you have your documents in iCloud. But actually, your documents are into an, I, an app's iCloud container. And if you're on the Mac, there's a bunch of different ways that you can access those documents. One is yeah. the official way. The other is the hacker's way. Yeah, the weird folders yeah. in your uh, user library. Now you have this single location that's called iCloud Drive that looks like Dropbox, but it's not Dropbox. It's more like iCloud with pretty icons, but you can also create folders if you want, and you can move documents around. And by the way, you don't have to use iCloud Drive. You can just hit a button and you change your storage provider. Yeah, That's super strange for you know for an iOS uh, user yeah. who's been you know, using iOS for like seven years. And yeah. the transmit- well, it puts I- it puts iCloud at the same playing level as anyone else, and which other is providers great. because yeah. you can switch at any time. So in Transmit's case, you just change the um, storage location, and you're browsing an FTP server and or an S3. Uh, what are they called? Buckets. Bucket. And uh, you can just you know. You can do whatever you want with documents. You can even um, you can even open a document from Transmit into another app. You change the document, and the changes are saved back to Transmit and right. into your server or bucket. Like a real computer. Like a real computer, right? And instead, yeah. it's an iPhone or an iPad. So yeah. you cannot, well, that, you cannot make fun of me anymore. Break. You cannot yeah. make fun no. of me anymore. That's, that's well, the best about, part of extensions. <laughs> not about this. Um, no, I mean that, that's the the thing. Like, if I had started a, a text document in ByWord and it was in ByWord's iCloud container, and I want to open it somewhere else, it's like, well, too bad. Like, it's it belongs to ByWord. Um, and that whole thing started to go away last year with Mavericks and iOS seven with tags. We could use tags to sort of see each other's documents a little bit. But I mean, this really turns iCloud into a much more flexible system. Like, I'm still going to use Dropbox for lots and lots of things. Um, but I think iCloud Drive will slowly be creeping in more and more, especially in an app like Byword, where it's sort of like, I just create a thing and it knows about iCloud and everything's just fine. But um, 
I, I for one, am excited about the flexibility of that and to be able to swap in your own provider in place of iCloud. It's huge. I, I hope Dropbox is there. I hope yeah. um, that you know these other providers have. There's a uh, OneNote from Microsoft, and um, what's the the business you want? Uh, Box. Box. Yeah. Yeah. So that's lots of good things going on there, and I think the storage, especially, will that corner of this will grow over time, and that because to me, it's sort of the most, it's the hardest thing to wrap my hands around of like what's actually possible. Um, but I think that it will it will get just more and more powerful as time goes on. Uh, so we're talking about keyboards, but first I would like to talk about uh, Iconic, which is a uh, a great book. This episode of Connected is brought to you um, by this photographic tribute to Apple and design. Iconic is a beautiful coffee table sized book. It tells the story of Apple's most beautiful desktops, portables, prototypes, iPods, devices, and packaging. Uh, this book is just chock full of stunning and unique photography. Uh, it began back in uh, 2009 when the author, uh, Jonathan, wanted to start to photograph and catalog his incredible and mammoth collection of Apple products. It took four, Frederick, this took four years, um, 150,000 photos, uh, whittled down into a 350-page book. To go along with these images, there's a collection of essays um, by guys like Lauren Brichter, uh, Daniel Kotke, Jim Dalrymple, and Steve Wozniak. Um, now, actually, I bought a copy of this book, like, I think when it first came out. Yep. Um, I have a copy, too. It, yeah, it's, it's yeah, amazing. It's, yeah, yeah. So, so you've been flipping through it. Like, you know, what what has kind of caught your, caught your eye in this thing? Well, the photos are, and, like... The amount of effort that went into uh, documenting Apple's history is just incredible, uh, and it feels like it feels like the, uh, when you go to a museum and you you have these uh, books uh, like in front of um, objects, and and it, and it's that kind of quality. It's like this is an uh, an object that that collects all the history of Apple. With these beautiful photos and 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 attention to the materials used in a in a product, and 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 I cannot imagine imagine honestly the the amount of work that went into you know producing this. And besides, the, the book itself is beautiful, <laughs> and because it looks great, the the quality of the paper is great. And but the photos is is like this is like an Apple museum in your in your home, and it's yeah, it's I'm a big fan of the. Of the yeah. iconic. Yeah, those of us with Apple collections in our home, <laughs> this book is still <laughs> impressive. Um, so there's a couple really easy, great ways to get this book. Uh, if you want to get the classic edition, you can actually go straight to Amazon. It's on Amazon now uh, or the book depository and buy from there. But if you're interested in the classic plus or special edition, head over to iconicbook.com slash relay FM, where you get 20% off. Um, if you are a lover of Apple or design or, or have uh, someone you're close to who is into this stuff, um, definitely go check this out. It's It really is one of the favorite things in my bookshelf. That's been true for a long time, well before Relay FM was a thing. Um, so check it out, iconicbook.com slash Relay FM, where you get 20% off. So thank you so much to uh, Iconic and their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. So keyboards. <laughs> 
I didn't ever think this would happen. Like if you had told me two years ago, okay, you're going to get extensions and widgets in iOS. I'd be like, cool. That's great. I never would have thought that custom keyboards would make it to Apple's operating system. Yeah. And they're here and, they're, and there's lots of them and they're all awesome. Have you well, made most, a keyboard? Most Steven of them are yet? awesome. Have you made a Steven's keyboard? Because everybody's doing keyboards. I know. I, I need to make one with the bubble text that I do on Twitter <laughs> yes, sometimes. Please do. Please. I will um, give you so much money, Steven. Okay. Oh yeah. Let me just learn how to program. So text expander is probably my favorite. I'll mm-hmm. just say it. Yeah. Because I do lots of jokes in text expander, and now I can see those on my iPhone. Okay. So can awesome. I do a special edition teachy tip just for this episode? Oh yes. Okay. So listen, listen to this is a nice one, Stephen. So if you have the text expander keyboard for iOS eight, and you use um, email like any other human being on this planet. <laughs> but if you're the kind of person who likes to use your own IMAP email with a, you know, with your own server, you, you don't want to use Gmail because, you know, it's Google and you don't want to use iCloud because it's iCloud. Um, you want to use IMAP, right? And every time you need to set up an IMAP account in the settings app, you got to fill the server information in the, in, yeah. the, in the setting pro in the setup process. So what I did was that I finally, after, uh, Six years of iOS, um, <laughs> I set up a text expander snippet uh, for my email host information. Now, when I go to the settings app and when I add my accounts, um, I can just switch to the text expander keyboard. I, uh, you know, type the little snippet and it gets expanded to the full uh, server address which is boring to type because it, you know, it's a bunch of different letters. And, and it's tedious, right? It's like it's, it's periods annoying, right? and letters Every and time. numbers. Yeah. So you can, you don't have to switch back and forth between, I don't know, one password and, you know, the settings app to, to, to copy and paste that information. Just use the text on the keyboard, make a snippet and make setting up email accounts uh, less annoying and less like an animal and because now you're on iOS 8. That's brilliant, Federico. So I've definitely done that a hundred times. Yeah. Um, SwiftKey is another one. SwiftKey is, has been around, right? This is the one that was in a couple of note-taking apps. Um, but now is a keyboard and it's, um, it's got some smart prediction stuff, but of course it has the, the swiping, which is the big thing. Yeah. The SwiftKey flow just for the iPhone. Um, I'll tell you, um, it's pretty weird. Right, because this is new to me. I, I unlike um, our new Italian friend, um, I never used Android, so I have no idea what um, you know um, gestures wiping to you know to uh, to type is like. This is new to me, but the, the most impressive uh, feature of Swiftkey for me is that in the same keyboard you can type in two languages. So of course I'm typing in Italian and in English, and Swiftkey. It's pretty amazing at recognizing uh, the language that you're writing in, and so I've been testing this keyboard for you know for mag- for messages, for tweeting, for writing uh, blog posts in a in editorial on my iPhone and iPad, and it's pretty great actually because the predictions I fu- I found them to be much better than QuickType. The keyboard can learn from your uh, writing style if you give uh, SwiftKey uh, read access to your Twitter account, to your Facebook. 
And there's also Evernote, but I didn't want to give access to my Evernote because it's full of notes that I didn't write myself. So, of course, on Twitter, the Zwift keyboard finds my English tweets, and on Facebook, it finds my Italian <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, your stuff. Facebook, I don't understand yeah. what's happening on your Facebook. So, it's learning for me, and on, and on many different occasions, I found Zwift to, uh, to, you know, it, it was giving me words and suggestions for stuff that I knew I wrote previously elsewhere. And that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I haven't found so. Uh, what is Apple's called again? Quick I'm type. sorry. Yeah, I have not found it to be learning anything. <laughs> That's exactly like, what I wrote in my article. <laughs> yeah, like like Apple says, and maybe it was in beta, maybe it wasn't hooked up or something. But Apple's like, it learns your tone because you might send an iMessage to your Federico friend different than you send an email to your Mike friend. And it's supposed to learn contextually the sort of tone of voice and words you might use. I have not found yeah. that to be the case. Not However, either. I found a great game. Oh, so yeah. this is my, this is my, <laughs> I know what's coming. This is my tip. Okay. It probably destroys your quick type <laughs> data, but send a text to somebody only using the <laughs> words that Apple suggests are next. And to really make it great, only use like the middle one. And so like it never it, it falls apart so quickly really? because it's just gibberish. It's awesome. Just the middle one? I, I've been playing with just the middle one with like my brother and some friends and they think I'm drunk. But um it's pretty great. I, I have used the swiping keyboard, uh, actually it's called swipe uh, over on um over on Android. And it's pretty great once you get used to like not typing. Um, it's, it's, a, it's definitely weird, but once you get the hang of it, you can actually be really fast. And so I, I'm looking forward to getting back into that. I haven't used Android in, a, in several years full time, but uh, I'm looking forward to this kind of making its way to iOS. So I'm just, uh, trying to use your tip. Oh no. The fact I can get it right away with the best of the day before I get a follow back on my way home. Follow back on your way home. It's pretty good. It's fun. You're probably destroying anything it's learned about you, but I'm about to send you this message, by the way. All right. That'd be exciting. Um, so uh, <laughs> I've been trying this other keyboard called GIFmoji, which sounds like a weird Casey Lee's nightmare, but it's actually a real keyboard for iOS 8. And it's basically a keyboard that lets you, oh, this is difficult to explain. Um, there's, three tabs in this keyboard the first tab is um emoji but they are animated emoji so it's like the smiley the smiley face you can see the you know there's a, an animated face smiling and there's the face with a kiss and there's you know little hearts growing bigger and bigger and that kind of stuff the second tab um is um these um ascii uh artwork that yeah. people use for you know um, you know little characters, and the third tab is uh, regular uh, gifs organized in sections. So there's like winning gifs, and there's um, like sad face gifs. There's a facepalm gifs, and it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome because in in a single keyboard I can have these three different types of uh, stupid internet style messaging, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty great, and uh, the only the only problem with this keyboard and with other keyboards too is that it takes a while to load, and so um, if you're if you have many keyboards on your device, like right now I have uh, seven keyboards, 
every time I switch to one of these keyboards, um, there's a like a brief waiting period, like yeah. one second. And the button's not always in the same place. Like, have you noticed on Apple's own yeah. regular keyboard and their emoji keyboard, the button to switch between keyboards is in a different place? Yeah. You're like, what, what, what you doing there? Like, mm-hmm. that should be the same place on all of them. And also, uh, you know that targets. you know what happens when you install too many keyboards? Your phone just explodes. No, you you have to scroll the list. Oh my! So God. okay, so basically, this is also one of the other points that I wanted to bring up. To switch between keyboards in the Apple keyboard, you can tap and hold the globe icon to bring up a, to bring up a popover, right? A right. list of your keyboards. Yeah. This popover is not supported by th- uh, by third party keyboards. You cannot tap and hold the globe icon to have a list, uh, so you can swipe on the list and switch quickly. You can just tap and rotate across keyboards. And uh, however, in this popover, if it gets too long, you gotta scroll. But to scroll, you don't have to take your finger off the screen because otherwise you choose a keyboard. So you have to like move your finger to the bottom or the top and just uh, guess that it's going to scroll. And also the predictive setting, it's at the top of the uh, keyboard list. And to activate it, you gotta like just select that toggle and like release. It's the interaction in the screen is really weird. And it makes me wish that Apple had a a better like keyboard settings area uh, yeah. because the, the globe icon is really confusing. And I hope that in the next version of iOS, they're going to let developers display the, uh, the little pop-up to switch between keyboards because it's much better than just, you know, tapping the globe multiple times to switch and switch and switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think as an example, they built something that people are going to use in a more robust way than they planned. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's all sorts of things like custom keyboards can't do, like secure text input, which I get. Like I don't want the guy who made Gifmoji keyboard to necessarily <laughs> know my passwords, but yeah. I would like to be able to opt into that. He's a really um, nice guy, by the way. Yeah, I, yeah, that wasn't personal. <laughs> it was just the, where my cursor was in the Google Doc. Um, so it's just a little, a little weird that like Apple's keyboards can do a lot of stuff and other ones don't, and. When I say weird, like that makes sense. That's a very Apple thing to do. But from a user perspective, it's a little jarring. Like, oh, I got to go back to this one to do that. Or I got to be over here to do this. And I really foresee myself only having two or three of these yeah. things long term. Like it's fun to play with them today. But in a year, I'm only going to have two or three, I think, that I rely on. And uh, because of the limitations Apple's put in place. Yeah, for me, it has been more... It has been more difficult to get used to complete keyboard replacements than using, you know, utility-focused keyboards such as uh, like Text Expander or uh, the GIFmoji thing. Because uh, this is quite strange because a, a keyboard that just wants to replace the Apple keyboard has a higher like learning curve because I gotta use that every day. And after yeah. seven years of the default keyboard, it's really difficult for me to get used to it. Yeah, because like I mean, even the text expander one, like I'm in it only to fire yeah. a snippet, and then I find it more comfortable to use the Apple one. Yeah, yeah. There's this new um, clipboard clipboard manager for iOS eight that's uh, not available today. That's going to come out in the next few weeks. It's called Clips, and by the same guys that made the dispatch email client for iPhone, 
this one is amazing and, I, and I'm using it all the time. It, um, it basically, it's like the clipboard feature of apps like LaunchBar or Alphlet on the Mac on iOS 8. And so I can copy stuff. I can save multiple items into this clipboard manager. And then when I want to paste all these items in a row, I can just switch to their custom keyboard and, you know, just paste everything. It's going to be amazing, honestly. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sad that I didn't, uh, I couldn't publish a review today. Yeah, that that sort of thing too. You know, we made the joke that like this makes iOS like a real computer, <laughs> but like I have a clipboard manager in OS and I use Alfred for that, and it's like it saves my rear end more than I want to admit. Um, well, obviously, like there's to going that. to be there's going to be. Uh, limitations on iOS still sure. because it's not like OS 10 yet. Uh, but it, it's interesting to think about Apple uh, slowly opening up iOS, but doing that yeah. in a way that is still more secure than the Mac. And maybe there's, um, of course, there's pro and con- pros and cons about that. Um, but I kind of like this new Apple, you know, doing these new things, but still they're secure. And like for keyboards, you got to grant access to the to web features. Otherwise, keyboards cannot communicate with the a, with a, with a cloud. And, right. Or I don't know, like for, um, for this uh, clipboard stuff, uh, apps are still not capable of monitoring what you type and copy all the time. And so I, I do like that Apple is bringing, you know... Um, this kind of new integrations to iOS, but still in a way that's different from OS X because it, it looks like they have learned from their previous experiences with power users on the Mac. And now we can do, we can do more more things on iOS, which, which makes me happy and it makes me wonder, uh, can we start talking about iOS 9 today? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, let's just uh, start that rumor mill now. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, a couple years ago, starting with like 10.7 Lion, you know, the iOS iOSification of OS X, and that definitely has happened, but it's been more features than sort of like underlying structure. Yeah. And we, we see what, we see that iOS, I think, in the last, definitely now, but even the last couple of years, has moved much closer to the Mac, and the Mac has moved towards iOS. And... As an old guy, I think that's great. Um, but I agree. This is like new stuff is new territory, but Apple's going about it in a way that respects users' privacy and, and it continues to make this the platform as secure as possible. And uh, I think all this stuff is great, and I'm excited to see what developers do. Like As, as much fun as today is, like in six months or in a year, the stuff that developers will be able to do is really encouraging. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's been so refreshing to see all these new apps and uh, uh, during this summer, right? And and the results on the App Store today. And today, there's probably a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement, and you know, people curious to try all these new apps because it feels like the early days of the App Store again because everything's new and everything's great. Um, but I want to see like after the holidays, right? After uh, the new iPads and after another Apple event and after Yosemite, how in everyday life, um, these new features are going to 
you know, to play out for for regular people. Because are normal people going to know about share and action extensions? Are they going to know about, you know, you can edit a photo for Instagram with the Instagram filters without actually opening Instagram? And are, you know, you can switch your document providers and you can load files from Dropbox or OneNote uh, in any app. Are people going to going to know about this? And I think that um, I think that a huge part of this will be the new Tips app from Apple on iOS eight that sends you notifications to uh, learn how to use your devices and now to get more out of iOS uh, on an iPhone and iPad. I think that Apple has some has some explaining to do to regular folks. Uh, they, they, they need to tell people how to be more product, productive on iOS. Because so many times uh, my friends tell me, oh, you know, uh, you know, all the things you can do, and they look at my screen, right? All the things you can do when you know how to use an iPhone. Because most people just go to the App Store and use Facebook and Instagram and Safari and mail maybe or messages, you know, the basic apps. But people want to know about they want to know how they can do more because they're jealous of the people that can use an iPad or an iPhone for serious tasks. And now that this stuff is possible, not with scripts or workflows on, or you know, URL schemes and other incomprehensible stuff for, uh, for normal people, now that this is possible, um, I think that Apple should tell users, hey, you can do this now, today with iOS 8 and you should upgrade because you can do this and this and that. And... It's going to be interesting to see, you know, uh, if the new features in iOS 8 can take developers until WWDC, or if the, the limitations that we mentioned today are going to be a problem after the initial excitement is over, and and developers are going to start complaining again. Uh, it's also nice. It's also curious to 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 think about iOS 8.1. Uh, which is supposed to come out before iOS 9, of course, but also either this fall with the new iPads or early next year. And if Apple is really doing um, a new multitasking mode for the iPad, if you combine that with, with extensions and with document providers and with iCloud Drive, the iPad could be profoundly transformed as a device, as a portable computer. And and it's funny to think about that. Like you said, Stephen, there used to be people who were saying, "Oh, uh, OS X is becoming like iOS." And uh, imagine if Launchpad uh, becomes the new Finder, and when you boot a Mac, <laughs> yeah. all, all, the only thing you see is a grid of icons. And now, the uh, now iOS is becoming more like the Mac, but still in a new way. So it's it's an interesting turn of events. Yeah. And, but you still can't send your heartbeat to anyone yet. So. Yeah, so that's a bummer. Call me when we can do that. Yeah. So uh, I think that's that's it for today. Got anything else? Well, I, I wish, um, as I say this, I hope I'm still alive. Um, what else? Uh, I think it's been really fun to <laughs> to try all these iOS 8 apps. I think there's... Lots more coming uh, because I know developers who couldn't submit their apps uh, due to bugs and you know iTunes Connect problems and other um, crashes, the memory prob- problems with the iOS 8 GM. So there's a lot of new apps that haven't been released today, but they are coming soon with amazing new features. And yeah. I look forward to reducing the amount of coffee that I drink every day. That's fine. 
you don't sh- the shaking is fine. It's fine. If you, if you want to find the show notes uh, for this week's episode, you can find them online at relay.fm slash connected slash five. Our dearly departed co-host is uh, iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E. Uh, Federico writes at maxstories.net, and you can find him tweeting at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find me at 512pixels.net and at ISMH on Twitter. Until next time, goodbye. Arrivederci.